0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order, and then we rank them from best to worst. My name's Sarah. And I'm Ben. Thanks for listening to us today. How you doing, Ben? Oh,
1: I mean, I'm doing okay. The Halloween season is behind us, and we are in the stretch between that and Christmas. And it's cold and snowy outside.
0: And gets dark far too early. I mean, like, if you're a vampire, you probably like it. Hmm. But I'm not a vampire.
1: Yeah, it's just been a lot of sitting at home indoors, which can be demoralizing sometimes.
0: Sometimes. Speaking of sitting in the house when it's all dark outside, we're watching House of Dracula.
1: You mean like Dracula sits in his house when it's dark outside? Or does Dracula sit in his house when it's light outside?
0: Yeah, I suppose when it's dark outside, Dracula goes goes out out partying.
1: Right. You know. Well, he goes out to eat.
0: Treats himself to a night out.
1: Occasionally he orders in by sending a letter to a real estate company.
0: Do you think that's on Uber Eats?
1: So, <laughs> House of Dracula is the final serious entry in the original Universal Monsters
0: franchise. I feel like Sirius is also kind of in quotation marks, because they have been getting, like, like, they're not purposely made to make you laugh. But they aren't serious in the way that, like, Luton films are serious. Right.
1: The, the creators haven't been taking them seriously for some time. Yeah. But uh, they haven't been, like, out-and-out comedies. Correct, yeah. So, speaking of the development, I guess, of this franchise, why don't you tell us a bit about how we got to here from there?
0: Sure. Um, so in our last Monster Rally movie, which was House of Frankenstein, episode one twenty-five, um, I kind of gave the roadmap of how we got here mm-hmm. of all of the previous universal monster movies, at least as far as Dracula, Frankenstein, and the Wolfman are concerned. So if you want like super in-depth, definitely take a listen to that episode. For this episode, I'll just give kind of a, a brief overview. For sure. These movies have been coming out for the last 14 years. We're currently in 1945. The first film that set it off was Dracula in 1931. And Dracula's journey through the years has been interesting. Now Dracula, as like the character, kind of lived and died in the 1931 Dracula film starring Bela Lugosi.
1: Unlived and redied,
0: <laughs> to die to be truly dead must be glorious. Right. Um, in 1936, we got Dracula's daughter, starring Gloria Holden. And what was unique with that film? Not only was it about hey, he's a female vampire. Um, we had seen female vampires in the Dracula original film, but. Gloria Holden's character was focused on finding a cure for vampirism, curing herself of this, and then in the second half of the movie she goes through the no, I'll, I'll be a monster, kidnap the girl, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Then in 1943 we had Son of Dracula. And I'll just make a quick footnote here that both the daughter and son of Dracula, it's unclear whether it's the genealogical siblings, offspring of Dracula, or the um, vampiric offspring?
1: Yeah, yeah. Are these, like, the kids of Vlad Zeppish or are they, like, the sires of Dracula?
0: Exactly. Um, but in any case, Son of Dracula stars Lon Chaney Jr. as Count Alucard. It, it's not quote-unquote Dracula, but it's kind of like, Alucard, get it? Mm -hmm. Like, the film really, like, looks at the camera and winks at you. What's interesting with Son of Dracula is the vampire isn't really the main person we're following, the main protagonist. Mm -hmm. We're actually following Louise Albright's character, Kay, who is, like, conning the vampire into becoming immortal herself. Because she's, like, a goth girl.
1: Yeah, she has almost, like, the opposite motivation from Gloria Holden in Dracula's Daughter.
0: Yeah. And then, in House of Frankenstein, John Carradine takes on the role as Dracula. Now, this is fully in-name Count Dracula. um, Who knows what the relation is to original OG Dracula?
1: I thought the implication was supposed to be he was OG Dracula.
0: Yes, but... I also came up with a theory that this was a vampire who was squatting on (laughs) on the Count's castle grounds.
1: Right. He's just going by (laughs) Count Dracula now. (laughs) That was the movie that established that if you just remove the stake from a dead vampire, they just come back, which, like,
0: yes. I think that, like, that's why you have to cut off their head as well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Staking a vampire does not kill them. Mm -hmm. It just
0: holds them in place. Right. We know this.
1: Yeah. We've played Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs>
0: we have Eastern European ancestry. Right. <laughs> so that's that's what Dracula's been up to up mm. until this film. Didn't he like get got
1: by the sun last time In around?
0: All of these. <laughs> The vampire has gotten got.
1: Yeah, but specifically John Carradine's Dracula in the previous movie, like yeah. like, like, his
0: coffin gets yeeted off the carriage, <laughs> and he like gets gets up just as the sun is coming up and gets burned up alive by the sunlight. Right. <laughs> the next Universal horror monster creature that I will briefly outline comes from the 1931 film Frankenstein, starring Boris Karloff, Colin Clive, Dwight Frye, some really awesome people. So obviously Dracula and Frankenstein are based off of the novels of the same name, but in the case of Frankenstein, the way that they adapted the book was like kind of cutting it in half and adapting the first half in the 31 Frankenstein film and then the second half where it features the Doctor creating a mate for the creature in the 1935 film Bride of Frankenstein. Now both of these are pretty early. Um, Frankenstein is episode 26 and Bride is episode 48. So they do have that problem of balancing horror with too much comedy. In the first Frankenstein, 31 Frankenstein, the creature cannot speak. In Bride, he does get the ability to speak and he ends the film with the amazing line of we belong dead and then Karloff returns as the creature in 1939 in the film son of Frankenstein now the first two films feature Dr. Henry Frankenstein as the mad scientist right played by Colin Clive right um the son the titular son of Frankenstein is um Wolfgang Frankenstein played by Basil Rathbone this is where where we start to get into a lot of the the uh what I like to call the baggage of Frankenstein because in Son of Frankenstein is when we are introduced to Bela Lugosi's character Igor who um is an evil guy who was like hanged but didn't fully die so his like neck is slightly broken and there's a lot of black comedy with that but he does still have a very manipulative criminal nature and he uses this to bring the, once again, return from the undead creature Mm -hmm. to manipulate him to start killing off the jurors. This is neither here nor there, but I know since Lionel Atwell appears in House of Dracula, I thought it might be good to note that Lionel Atwell appears for the first time in the Frankenstein franchise in Son of Frankenstein as the inspector. Right. Now, because Lugosi, his character became a bit more of a puppet master for the creature, Um, Karloff was pretty unhappy with how the creature was handled in Son of Frankenstein. So in the 1942 Ghost of Frankenstein film, Karloff chose not to return, and Lon Chaney Jr. stepped in to play the creature. As I alluded to a little bit earlier, in each of these Frankenstein films, the creature gets blown up in some sort of manner at the end of each film. like. In a windmill that's on fire and it crumbles or like, you know, just the creature gets destroyed, quote unquote, at the end of every film. So by the time that we get to Ghost of Frankenstein, he's needing some help. Um, Igor Lugosi (laughs) is still around and he goes, ah, creature, let's go to the other son of Frankenstein, now played by Cedric Hardwick, and we'll get you all fixed up. Um, the ghost of Frankenstein that the title refers to is a ghost that appears to Cedric Hardwick as Henry Frankenstein saying, help my creature.
1: Yeah, continue on my work.
0: Continue my work. Lionel Atwill appears in this film as a different character, this time as a somewhat mad scientist mm-hmm. who performs a <laughs> a brain swap between... Igor and the creature. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this happens in like the last five minutes, and because of when you're a mad scientist, you kind of cut corners. He didn't realize that Igor and the creature's blood types didn't match. This causes Igor, as the creature, to go blind, uh, hence why he stumbles around with his hands out. Mm-hmm. And once again, he is blown up at the end of that film. Um, In 1943, we get Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Um, This is the first uh, attempt by Universal to bring together these horror characters. And they sort of succeed in the sense that Wolfman is very well done in the film. Um, But the Frankenstein half of the film is not done well. And that's because the Legosi is playing the creature, but... They had to cut all his lines because audiences laughed at Lugosi speaking
1: mm-hmm. as
0: the creature. Um, so you you lose the context of all this baggage of like, well, why is the creature Lugosi and talking like Dracula? And why is he stumbling about with his hands outstretched? And all of these things. Yeah,
1: and it's because Igor's brain is in the creature, but like that context has been removed from the movie.
0: Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, now there is another... Frankenstein that we meet in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, and that is um, Elsa Frankenstein, a granddaughter, I believe.
1: She's the daughter of Cedric Hardwick's character from yeah. Ghost, which means that she's the granddaughter of Henry Frankenstein.
0: Yeah, and she's played by Alona Massey, and we have a mad scientist again. Um, he starts normal and then goes mad with power, uh, played by Patrick Knowles, because you need to have a scientists go mad, and that's why he does something with the creature.
1: Yeah, you need someone who can get the creature back to, like, working order. Because, like, because he gets blown up at the end of every movie, the first act of every subsequent movie is how do we get the creature back, basically.
0: Exactly. At the end of Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, they are, Wolfman, that is, and the creature are fighting to the death when the dam blows up and they get swept away. So sort of blown up. Um, and they are found in the 1944 film, House of Frankenstein. And, um, in that film, the creature is played by Glenn Strange. Now, the third monster that I will briefly outline here is the Wolfman. Specifically, not just any werewolf, but Larry Talbot as werewolf.
1: Right. The Wolfman is a werewolf, but not all werewolves are the Wolfman. Yes. Yes.
0: Uh, so The Wolfman, its first entry is in 1941, so ten years after Dracula and Frankenstein premiered, or even a thing, made horror a thing for Universal. Um, and you can really see how much more solid that horror genre and fertile ground is when you watch The 41 Wolfman. Mm. It, is, it is quite a treat. It is very good. Um, and it stars Lon Chaney Jr., and honestly, it's kind of the film that solidifies Lon Chaney Jr. as a horror icon for Universal. Yes, they were really pushing it, so it was bound to happen eventually. But it really solidified him, and also with how well Lon Chaney plays Larry Talbot, it really solidifies Larry Talbot is Lon Chaney Jr.
1: Yeah, it's like the character and the actor have like a much more like, definitive connection than the other monsters. Like, even, like, okay, Boris Karloff's iconic as Frankenstein, but, like, eventually the way that they treat the creature, they kind of figured out that they could kind of put any tall actor in the makeup. Mm -hmm. And then, like, Dracula has, like, never been consistent in terms of, like, who was the lead vampire Dracula character. But, like, you can't imagine anyone else other than... Lon Chaney as Larry Talbot.
0: Exactly. Now, the progression of The Wolfman's story is very interesting. We have three films. The first one, 1941, establishes, hey, this was a curse. Put it on Larry Talbot. Isn't it tragic? And he gets killed, is killed, by his own dad. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very tragic. Second film, 1943, is... Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, um, now because of the things I previously mentioned with the Frankenstein half of the film being very chopped up and messy, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman really feels like a Wolfman sequel rather than a combining of universal horror icons, Mm. and that film establishes that, A, Larry Talbot cannot die.
1: Yeah, the moonlight brings him back to life. He's not just a werewolf, he's like an- Immortal. Yeah, he's an undead werewolf. (laughs)
0: And it B establishes him as traveling across the lands looking for a cure. Mm-hmm. Um, please, you gotta help me. Yeah, because suicide isn't going to help him.
1: Right? Exactly. Yes. He he just wants to be cured and or die, whichever one you can help him achieve. Yes,
0: <laughs> a permanent death. Yes. To to clarify, in the nineteen forty four House of Frankenstein, he does achieve. The skull. He meets up with the doctor in the film. And I'll give a synopsis in a second. Um, but he meets up with the doctor. He's like, yeah, I can cure you. And at the end, he does die. Mm-hmm. And he dies with like a little, little smile on his face. So you might be asking me now, Sarah, if he's dead, how come he's back in House of Dracula? And I will just lean back into my chair and look at you, listener, and calmly say, no one's ever truly dead in Universal. No. Nope. <laughs> um, let me give you the synopsis of House of Frankenstein. Yes. Um, Because House of Dracula is a direct sequel, so I think it's important that we have this stuff in our heads. I mean, it's also technically a sequel to all of these other movies, but... Yeah, it's it's what? It's the... So it's the 11th film overall, including all of the previous, like, Dracula, Frankensteins, whatevers. Mm -hmm. It is the 7th Frankenstein, the 5th Dracula, and the 4th appearances of Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman. Right. So Universal had a lot of money and they managed to get Karloff back. Right. Back into Universal uh, for just... House of Frankenstein, he leaves after. If you want to hear more about the drama of that, listen to episode 125. Uh, Ben gives us a pretty good glimpse into that. But Karloff is playing Dr. Neiman, um, who is in prison, along with J. Carol Nash's Hunchback character. They escape prison due to a thunderstorm Mm. exploding the jail. And, And
1: isn't, like, Neiman say that, like, he is obsessed with the original Henry Frankenstein because his brother was Frankenstein's assistant, which implies that his brother was Fritz?
0: Yes. (laughs) Yeah, there's some (laughs) funny Easter eggs you can go looking for.
1: Frankenstein continuity is complicated, (laughs) y'all.
0: Now, the Hunchback assistant, his name is Daniel, he is going along with Dr. Neiman because... Dr. Neiman's specialty is switching brains Mm -hmm. and he says to Daniel that I can take you out of your current body, take your brain, put it into a regular person's body and you'll be able to be you, but not a hunchback anymore. So Daniel's like, great. As they're escaping prison, they run into George Suzuko as a traveling circus guy
1: Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) whose main act... Uh, in, like, this traveling show of his, is, uh, he has the coffin of the real Count Dracula. (laughs)
1: With with corpse inside. With
0: corpse inside, of course. Yeah. And, (laughs) so they kill him, (laughs) take his act to, like, get across the country without the police looking for them. Now, during shenanigans, the stake gets taken out of the corpse in the coffin and Dracula, John Carradine, comes back to life. They're in one small town, and um, some people are getting suspicious about who Dr. Neiman and Daniel are. So he, the doctor gets Dracula to go kill them, and that goes horribly wrong because Dracula's horny all the time and just tries to seduce the lady in the house. He gets got, like I said, his, <laughs> they eat his coffin out of the carriage. Uh- <laughs> And that's the end of Dracula in that part of the film. It kind of feels like an anthology part. As they continue, they're going to the original uh, town of Frankenstein to find the Doctor's notes. And in searching the ruins, Naaman and Daniel find the frozen icicles of the creature and the wolfman. Uh, They melt them both and revive them. And, uh... Oh, also at this time, they, um... Rescue slash kidnap a Romani woman named Ilonka. Daniel has a crush on her. It d- it is not reciprocated. Um anyways, so Larry Talbot goes along with doctor Neiman because Neiman's like I can cure your lycanthropy like, by switching brains. And he's like that sounds reasonable. Yeah. So let's continue on. We'll get the creature like where you need to go, whatever. And Larry and Alonka are getting closer, so Daniel's getting jealous. Uh, Daniel basically wants his brain put in Larry's body, and Dr. Neiman's like, that's stupid. I'm not going
1: to do that. Daniel wants his brain in Larry's body because Alonka has the hots for Larry, and Daniel has the hots for Alonka. And then Larry wants his brain in someone else's body, so he won't have the lycanthropy anymore. And Neiman wants to take the mon- like the Frankenstein monster brain out of that body, which I guess is Igor's brain out of the <laughs> Frankenstein's monster's body, because like clearly they're a mismatch. So he, you-
0: I think he, um, his secret plan, Doctor Neiman's secret plan, was to put Larry's brain in right. the creature to make the ultimate creature. Right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and just
1: toss Igor's brain in a trash bin or something
0: where it belongs. Um, now. <laughs> Dr. Neiman gets, like, way too focused on the creature, as happens with mad scientists in these Frankenstein films. Um, They just become very fanatical about the creature and ignore everything else. So despite Larry Talbot being like, no, it's a full moon tonight, you really need to do this now, uh, he gets told to wait. So he transforms into the Wolfman, attacks the Lanka, who also by this way has added an aspect to the Wolfman myth of um, silver bullets will kill him. So she melts down silver, has a bullet, shoots him, and that's how he dies. Daniel comes in to tell Dr. Neiman this, and he's like, Fuck! (laughs) I needed his brain! And Daniel's like, Well, what about me? And (laughs) Neiman's like, Fuck you, Daniel! I wasn't going to do anything for you! Regardless of the fact that you've been my loyal assistant this entire time. And Daniel gets mad and attacks Dr. Neiman. The creature at this point breaks out of like comatosity (laughs) is no longer comatose, breaks out of his bonds, eats Daniel out the window, just as villagers are arriving as a mob and the creature carries Dr. Neiman out into the marshes away from the mob and they drown, slash get sucked down into quicksand
1: yep, that's right
0: so that's House Frankenstein
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that's definitely what happens in that movie
0: So, yeah.
1: So where we're at is Dracula's a pile of bones after being exposed to sunlight. Yes. Larry Talbot was shot by a silver bullet. And is dead. Yes, but conceivably could still be revived by the full moon. Because, like, the way he dies in the first movie is he gets, like, beaten to death by a silver cane. And the full moon just brings him back. So, like, and the Frankenstein monster is at the bottom of, like a quicksand pool in a bog somewhere.
0: Yes. Mhm. Along with Dr. Neiman?
1: Yes. <sighs> what what fucking building are they even in at the end of House of Frankenstein for the experiments? Cuz it's not any of the Oh,
0: they they go to Visaria. Yes, they go to, it's, it's um other son yes, Cedric, Cedric Hardwick's lab.
1: In Visaria as opposed to main Frankenstein lab in Frankenstein, which is like blown up 3 times over.
0: Yeah, the okay. um <laughs> so like we don't need any weirdos here. Yeah, they like oh, immediately kick them out. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, what the fuck is the the other son of Frankenstein's name? Ludwig. Ludwig. There we go. It's been bothering me this whole time. House of Dracula was put into production soon after the release of House of Frankenstein in 1944. House of Frankenstein had been commercially viable even though it had not been critically successful. <laughs>
0: It made money.
1: Yes. So let's
0: do it again. Right.
1: So this follow-up was originally titled The Wolfman vs. Dracula.
0: Okay. I mean, because, like, one of our main criticisms of House of Frankenstein is Dracula gets got so early that he doesn't actually get to interact with the other creatures.
1: Right. Now, if they had gone with this title also, I think, because, like... Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman is the first cinematic crossover, period. Yeah. So if they had gone with that title, The Wolfman vs. Dracula, that would have been the first instance of, like, the venerable, like, Thing versus Other Thing yeah. title, right?
0: It, and, in horror.
1: Well, yeah, I don't know if it had shown up earlier, but, like, I, I guess... Boxing. Okay, yes. Right, I mean, like, as a movie <laughs> title, because, like, we haven't had any, like... You know, like, we haven't gotten to King Kong vs. Godzilla yet, and, like, the other things where it's, like, this thing from this movie series versus this thing from another movie. The Wolfman vs. Dracula was to be produced and directed by Ford Beebe, who you might remember as the producer-director of Night Monster and The Invisible Man's Revenge. Yeah. The script was written by Mummy's Curse and Jungle captive writer Dwight V. Babcock, and it... Was to feature a scene where the Wolfman, when, like, the mob of angry villagers come after him, just, like, tears into the mob and kills all of them. Dope. In, like, a, a vicious werewolf massacre. And then the climax was going to be the Wolfman battling Dracula in giant bat
0: form. Oh my god. This sounds dope.
1: This script was rejected by the Haze Code. For being too violent and the project was retooled from scratch
0: oh damn you Hayes! office
1: <laughs> the second screenplay now titled house of dracula was courtesy of veteran writer edward t lowe who had also written house of frankenstein the year before he had also written the vampire bat in 1933 and the hunchback of notre dame in 1923 Also brought back from House of Frankenstein were producer Paul Mulvern and director Earl C. Kenton. Okay. So it's basically the same team making this.
0: That makes sense.
1: The cast of House of Frankenstein was also largely reunited, uh, minus Boris Karloff. Lon Chaney Jr. once again steps into the role of Larry Talbot. This would be his fourth appearance as the character. However, Chaney's drinking problem and his subsequent bad behavior on set had become a liability for the studio and so he would be let go from his contract with universal after this movie completed filming now that was the contract that started in 1941 with man-made monster and this as well as the final inner sanctum mystery movie pillow of death would be his last films for Universal under that contract. Okay. Cheney would go on to try to make a living afterwards as a character actor. Um, I can see that. Working freelance, going kind of from studio to studio. And he would appear as Larry Talbot one final time for Universal in the 1948 comedy Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. John Carradine returns for his second outing as Count Dracula. And while it would not be his final appearance as the vampire, it would be his final Dracula appearance for Universal. The changing movie audience tastes in regards to horror films would require Carradine to focus on his stage career in the late 40s and early 50s, as well as try to move into other genres like westerns in the early 1950s.
0: So horror was on its way out as the 40s went on.
1: That's right. And we're going to be talking more about that uh, in future episodes.
0: Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure if, like, maybe the reason why Universal didn't do more of either these Monster Rally movies or of these other, like, Universal monster movies is because, like, one of their main leads, Lon Chaney Jr., was let go.
1: More to do with it was... Economic factors that affected the success of the entire horror genre, like just the genre itself was becoming unprofitable, and then also the specific effects of the rank organization um, taking control. Right, right. Lionel Atwell manages to make a final universal horror appearance in this film. Uh, At the time of filming, he was already sick with the cancer that would kill him five months after the film's release.
0: Oh, really? Is this his last movie ever?
1: He has two more film appearances after this. Okay. But this is his certainly his final horror
0: movie. Yeah, he appeared in House of Frankenstein as the inspector involved with the Dracula segment of that movie. Right, yes.
1: Glenn Strange reprises his role as the Frankenstein monster from the previous film. He would play the monster a third and final time in 1948's Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, before resuming his prolific career as a western heavy on TV and in film. During the 1950s and 60s, it was Strange's version of the monster that would be used most often on official Universal Monsters merchandise. You know, lunchboxes and the like. <laughs> also appearing in a small role in this film is the ever-recognizable Skelton Nags, This installment's Mad Scientist is played by Onslow Stevens, who was born in L.A. in 1902. Stevens grew up performing with his family at the Pasadena Playhouse and made his Broadway debut in 1936, appearing in over 80 films before his death in 1977.
0: Okay, so by the time he's in here, it's probably on the, like, middle to, like... Later half of his career. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, he's 43 here, so his, his leading man days are starting to be behind him. The first of the film's two female leads is Martha O'Driscoll, who was trained as a dancer and scouted by a choreographer during a performance at a local theater production. At age 13, she and her mother moved to L.A., and Martha began appearing in musicals. Her first starring role was at age 18 as Daisy May in the first live-action adaptation of Little Abner from RKO in 1940. In 1947, she married the president of the Appleton Electric Company and retired from show business. The film's other female lead is Jane Adams, who was born Betty Jane Pierce in 1918, growing up in L.A., She was offered a scholarship to Juilliard and turned it down to perform at the Pasadena Playhouse. After she started getting roles on radio and in film, her agency changed her name to Pony Adams in an attempt to give her a more recognizable and memorable screen name. It's one of a kind, that's for sure. She married her first husband, a U.S. Navy pilot, in 1940, but he died in World War II in 1943. In 1945, she married Army Major General Thomas Turnage and changed her professional name to Jane Adams. In addition to House of Dracula, she is also remembered for portraying the first live-action version of Vicki Vale in the 1949 Batman and Robin serial. Okay. Her husband went on to become the last administrator of veteran affairs before it became a cabinet position in 1989. She passed away at age 95 in 2014.
0: Good for her. That's a long run.
1: To film the scenes in the movie where the Frankenstein monster is recovered from the bog he sunk into in the previous film, Glenn Strange spent three hours in the makeup chair with Jack Pierce, and then the rest of the shooting day submerged in cold liquid mud. When the crew went for lunch they left Strange behind in the mud.
0: Oh my... They they forgot? or they No, it
1: was just easier to leave him there than to have to take him out and then put him back in again. Yeah. By the time they returned, Strange complained that he was so cold that he had gone numb. So, to help keep Strange warm, No. Chaney began passing Strange a bottle of whiskey between takes. By the end of the shooting day... Strange was so drunk that he could hardly walk or dress himself after having his makeup and costume
0: removed. Okay, I I thought... I mean, that's bad. But I, I thought they were going to be like, oh, we'll just heat the water. And, like, him getting, like, third-degree burns from boiling water
1: or something. No, just Lon Chaney getting another cast member, like, totally drunk because that cast member hasn't, like, eaten anything all day. Yeah. Uh, you know, just... Yeah, this'll help. Have this whiskey. Uh, which certainly informs, you know...
0: Where, where Loncini's at.
1: Right, well, and, and Universal's subsequent decision to uh, release him from his contract after this film.
0: Absolutely.
1: House of Dracula was released on December 7th, 1945. It was financially successful and got better critical reception than House of Frankenstein did.
0: <laughs> Great!
1: However... The winds of change would sweep through Universal in the next six months and see the rapid end of the studio's B movie division, and with it, the studio's horror output. And we can we'll be talking more about that in episodes to come.
0: You you did just talk about it in a previous episode, though.
1: Yes, in our episode on Dead of Night, right? Uh, in relation to its release by Universal uh, in I believe June of 1946. Yeah. Uh, but we do have a few more Universal horror movies left, even if they are not featuring any of the Universal monsters.
0: Okay. Well, how are we watching this?
1: House of Dracula is available on Blu-ray and DVD as part of the Dracula Legacy Collection, and to rent on Apple Movies, Google Play, PlayStation, and YouTube.
0: Great. So, folks, if you want to watch along, you can find it on the Scream Scene YouTube playlist which you can find on our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. You're going to hear a brief musical interlude, and when we come back, we will discuss House of Dracula from 1945, directed by Earl C. Kenton.
1: See you on the other side, everybody. Welcome back, everyone, to Scream Scene. We just finished watching House of Dracula from 1945, directed by Earl C. Kenton.
0: We're done! Yes! It's such a relief!
1: (laughs) Yeah, no more universal monster movies, at least for a while for us. Yay! Unless we get to the point where we'll be covering Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, which will only happen if we meet our Patreon goal,
0: Oh, yeah, for um, horror-adjacent films.
1: Right, patreon.com slash So (laughs) Subtle. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I... uh, This movie's fine. I I would not choose to watch this again.
1: (laughs) I... My impression of this movie is that while it is, in some ways, technically, a sequel to House of Frankenstein, what it really is, is like a superior remake. It's it's a take two. It's a let's try this again and do it better.
0: Superior? Yeah. <laughs> we we can we can talk about that.
1: Well let's let's talk about the movie first.
0: Yeah. Tell us what the heck just happened on screen.
1: So we are once again set in Viseria and mostly we are set at the Cliffside Castle home of Dr. Franz Edelman. And it is, it's sort of unclear if the idea is supposed to be that Dr. Edelman, like, moved into Ludwig's house after the events of House of Frankenstein, but... I'm not sure. Or if there was a second castle home scientist lab in Viseria and Dr. Edelman was just Ludwig's, like, competitor across the street.
0: Here's what I think. I think he came in after Ludwig had everything blow up in his face. Mm -hmm. Because he saw an opening in the market. Right. But because the house itself exploded, he had his own thing built. Well, except that it's
1: it's clearly an ancient castle because it's got all these forgotten passages no one knows about. Anyways, it's not really important, (laughs) but it's just one of these...
0: still like a castle across the street.
1: It's just most... Towns don't have two castles. That's sort of the Listen, definition Germany of castles Germany has
0: whatever the fuck Universal okay. wants it to have. Sure.
1: So, Dr. Edelman is a medical scientist who is renowned for, like, helping people with, like, desperate cases, basically. And conducting all kinds of, like, cutting-edge medical research to, like, cure impossible conditions. So, Count Dracula shows up he wants Edelman to cure him of vampirism. Does he? Which is the first time that, like, Dracula has expressed an interest in being cured of vampirism.
0: Yes, that's fair. Uh, his, um, among humans name is, like, Baron something or other, but he explicitly (laughs) does call himself Count Dracula.
1: So, in order to, like, get treatment... From Dr. Edelman, without arousing suspicion, Dracula is going by the name of Baron Latos, and to make things convenient he 's put his coffin full of dirt in edelman's basement. But to sort of keep up the pretense, he like arrives at the castle's front door in the evening and is like hello i 'm here for my like biweekly treatments. The treatment that Edelman devises for Count Dracula, a.k.a. Baron Latos, is nonsense. The idea is that he, he examines Dracula's blood and finds that it has weird parasites in it, which doesn't explain anything about vampirism.
0: But tying vampirism back into uh, diseases and explicitly venereal diseases and diseases of the blood, is interesting.
1: Sure, but it, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. it, it just doesn't make... Like, why? So, the idea is that they are going to do a blood transfusion in in easy steps from Edelman to Dracula to basically cleanse Dracula's blood of these parasites. Which vampires feed on other people's blood any...
0: It might be like...
1: I mean, they feed on blood. It's not the same as a transfusion. I get that, but like...
0: But I, I, I think there's also something about like... Because he starts... The doctor, that is, starts off by explaining like, oh, it's like... Probably something in, like, someone's head or, like, a nutritional deficiency where, like, you know, when you're, like, sick and you crave potato chips, but really you just want the salt, so let's just put the salt directly in your veins type of deal.
1: Well, so Edelman initially doesn't believe in the supernatural. His take on vampirism is that it's, like, um, a mental disorder condition. But after, you know, examining Dracula's blood under a microscope, it's like, oh, okay, clearly you have something here. Now, Dracula has an ulterior motive for coming to Edelman's castle, which is that uh, Edelman has two nurses, one of whom is named Milizia. She's played by Martha O'Driscoll, and she is like a, you know, beautiful, conventionally beautiful blonde lady. And Dracula had previously met her in some European city at, like, a concert and clearly got, like, halfway through his, like, standard Dracula, like, seduction, hypnotism shtick when she got like the job offer to go work with Edelman and was like oh yeah I'm absolutely gonna go do that Uh, so he is continuing where he left off with her like seduction to the dark side now at the same time that Dracula is Edelman's patient Larry Talbot also shows up in Viseria to become Edelman's patient it's established that it's been a few years since House of Frankenstein so I'm like super curious about Talbot's, like, process of, like, you know, waking up after having died in Viseria, still in Viseria, leaving Viseria for a few years, and then hearing that there's actually this other guy who he could have gone to see in Viseria and, like, looping back around. Anyways, so once again, Talbot's looking for the lycanthropy cure, and once again, Edelman's take on this is that it's all in Talbot's head, but... That it is also real, because he does see Talbot transform into a werewolf. So his idea is that Talbot has, like... A glandular problem. Well, it's it's more crazy than that. <laughs> his idea is that Talbot's skull is too small. So it's putting pressure on his brain, and that's causing the delusion... In Talbot's mind that he is a werewolf and this delusion is so strong that when he sees the full moon his glands like go into hyperdrive and produce hormones that transform him into the wolfman. That's the idea.
0: There were moments where I was like is this what having a chronic illness is like? You go to different doctors and they come up with, like...
1: Different explanations of what's wrong with you. And they
0: get more and more, like, complicated and, like, no, really, I'm just a werewolf. It's like, no, really, I just have fibromyalgia. Just listen to me. And the doctor's like, are you sure it's not your glands?
1: So (laughs) the other thing about this that's wild to me is, like, I can understand how Edelman would think this is an explanation because he's trying to find a scientific explanation that isn't, you know, a curse, right? But we the audience know, and Talbot knows, that he became a werewolf after being bit by a werewolf. Like, nothing in that process squeezed his brain tighter anyways. (laughs) So Edelman's treatment idea for Talbot.
0: Oh, you know what? Maybe um, at first it was the curse. But then after, he had his skull bashed in by his dad.
1: Also, yes, this does not explain why Talbot is immortal. Like, I, I, if I was Talbot and I was hearing that explanation, I'd be like, Doc, I've been shot and died and come back to life. How does glands explain that one? Anyways, so Edelman's treatment for Talbot is that Edelman's been growing this, like, culture from the spores of this plant. Uh, that can be made into, like, a paste or something that can make, like, very hard substances soft and malleable. And in this way, Talbot's skull can be, like, reshaped and, like, made a little bit bigger to give his brain room to breathe without having to do, like, brain surgery on the skull that would probably go horribly wrong and be fatal or something. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah,
0: and in this, where it's just like putting lotion on the skin mm -hmm. type of deal, um, you don't even need to worry about surgery at all.
1: Yes. So Edelman has already been developing this treatment so that he can assist his other nurse, uh, Nina. Nina is a hunchback, um, but she doesn't have, like, Quasimodo face. She's just, like, pretty girl with a hump. Um, and... the
0: hunch on her back.
1: Right, exactly. And so the plan here is to use the, the, the cream or whatever to, like, straighten out her spine, right? The deal is that they need to grow enough of the cultures. You need a lot of the spores because they show you the process of how to make the thing, and it's, like, distilled, like, eight million times through a bunch of beakers, and then, like, is drip dropping into, like, a small vial. Yeah. So that's the plan for Talbot. Talbot, of course, is very impatient and frustrated.
0: Wait, wait! I can't wait. Yeah, I'm out of time. Yeah,
1: always as as always. Uh, Talbot feels like like because he always goes to these scientists to demand that they help him, like, like
0: the night before,
1: before the full like, moon. What
0: do you do for the rest of the month, guys? Yeah, he
1: just he just lives it up the rest of the month and like enjoys <laughs> like the weeks that he has and is just like. It's one of those things where it's like, oh shit, fuck, it's like the 27th again. Okay, fuck, where's the nearby mad scientist? So, in his frustration, Talbot tries to kill himself by jumping off a cliff into the ocean. Yeats and himself off a
0: cliff. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. And he gets uh, pushed by the tide into some cliff caves. Edelman goes down to the cliff caves to save him. And in the process of doing so, they discovered that the Frankenstein's monster and the dead body of Dr. Neiman have ended up in some mud in these caves from where they fell into the quicksand at the end of the last movie, and like over the years, the like shifting of the earth with this mud has like deposited them here. And what I love about this <sighs> the most is that Dr. Neiman is, like, completely decomposed. He is 100% a skeleton. Um, And the Frankenstein monster is fine. Um, To the point where, like, unless Edelman got him new clothes, his, like, typical black suit is perfectly fine and, like, not decayed at all. Edelman has the exact same reaction to finding the Frankenstein monster that, like, all scientists, like, instinctively have Uh. in the universal canon, which is to become immediately distracted by the possibility of bringing the monster back to life and, like, losing all focus on Talbot. And it comes to Nina to be like, hey, Doc, why not don't? (laughs) Just don't. And the doctor's like, yeah, you know what? Actually, you're right. And so he leaves... The Frankenstein monster hooked up to all the electrodes in the electrode part of his lab and gets back to trying to treat Dracula and Talbot. Now, Dracula has been using the treatments as an opportunity to get closer and closer to uh, Militia, And it finally dawns on Edelman that that's what Dracula's doing.
0: He's not he's, here to be cured.
1: He's feeding on his hot nurse. So... Adelman tries to trick Dracula with this plan, where he is going to do like the the transfusion thing, and presumably just like screw Dracula during the procedure. It's not really clear. I guess they're just going to drain Dracula of all his blood and call it a day or something. I'm not sure what exactly
0: the plan was. I he was thinking on his feet, right? Yes. Because it was like moments away from Dracula like biting and taking yeah. the nurse, right? So. The doctor comes in, and he's like, oh, transfusion, come on.
1: During the procedure, uh, Nina's in charge of, like, managing, you know, what direction the blood is flowing and and all of that while the two men are on the table. And Dracula puts the whammy on her, and she gets knocked out by his hypnosis powers. And then he just gets up off the table and switches the direction of the blood flow to put his blood into Adelman.
0: Who has also passed out, because it's his blood going into Dracula, and it was too soon after the last one.
1: Right. So, as we know, if you take in a vampire's blood, you become vampire. So Dracula's like, take that, asshole. And, (laughs) like, takes off uh, back to his Militia eating plan. And uh, Nina wakes up the doctor, and she's like, he's gone! And... At this point, Dracula's, I'll put my coffin and earth in Edelman's basement for convenience plan, you know, this is where that goes awry. Because when Edelman and Talbot and the whole crew, you know, confront Dracula with crucifixes and whatnot, and he goes to escape, he can only escape to... basement of the house of the people he's attacking so it's a pretty simple matter for them to just you know go down to the basement and move the coffin in the path of the window as the sun's coming up
0: in a basement come on
1: (laughs) it's a basement window you need those for fire code and (laughs) that uh takes out dracula he gets turned into skeleton which by the way is what happened to him in the last movie, and this movie features no explanation of how he came back from that. So I can only assume that, therefore, this is also not a permanent solution, even though everyone's insisting it is. Anyways, that's the end of Dracula for this movie. But his legacy lives on because Edelman now has vampire blood in him, which has turned him into a Jekyll and Hyde. Yes. So now he occasionally...
0: I mean, he already had the doctorate, so, right. you know. Dr. He was Jackal. already a math
1: scientist, yeah. yeah. there we go. He um, occasionally, when the lust overtakes him, transforms into Dr. Caligari. It's basically what he looks like.
0: Uh, no, he just looks like um, Dr. Edelman hearing that my and romance is coming back together. Because <laughs> he just has, like, major eyeliner under and a really gruff voice because he's been singing along too loud. <laughs> I I think
1: mo- they're trying to make him look gaunt and it kind of just looks like he has not slept in months. But the first time he transforms, he has this like weird bizarre dream sequence that's supposed to like let us understand what evil Edelmans' like motivations and plans are, and this plan appears to be 1, reawaken the Frankenstein monster, 2, set the Frankenstein monster on the villagers. Three, Which you get,
0: like, stock footage from past Frankenstein movies of the creature wreaking havoc on villages.
1: Three, question mark, question mark, question mark. Four, Nina is cured. Like, that's the plan.
0: Nina is cured and now is hot and fuckable.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. The implication is that the doctor actually wants Nina uh, deep down in his subconscious. Now, I mean, Nina is already, like, hot, She just has a hunchback, so that all tracks. But it's never really clear how awakening the Frankenstein monster helps the Doctor's other aims in any way. But evil Edelman is defo into turning the Frankenstein monster back on. However, he does still transform back into good Edelman at, like, intervals. Now, in one of his evil Edelman moments, he kills his, like... Gardener? Yeah, his, his, his manservant, uh, Siegfried. And it's as Siegfried is, like, driving into town for supplies or something, who knows. And so the villagers all see, like, Siegfried get choked to death in the town, and then run after the mysterious guy who just killed him. And it's very much the scene from Nosferatu, where the villagers run after Nock, uh, through the village.
0: But it doesn't take as long as in Nosferatu. Nosferatu goes on for like 10 minutes-ish. This was like a reasonable amount.
1: I feel like our memories, too, of like how long things take in these movies is like super subjective. (laughs) They chase evil Edelman all the way back to the castle. And the villagers slash the police make the very rational assumption that, hey... A murderer from the castle came into town and murdered a dude, and then went back to the castle. It's probably Talbot, you know,
0: the Wolfman.
1: Exactly. Now the police in this are led by Inspector Holtz, who is, of course, Lionel Atwill, and the angry mob of villagers is led by Siegfried's brother Steinmull, who's played by Skelton Knacks. They head to the castle, and Edelman's like, no. It couldn't have been Talbot, because you see, they've done the skull thing with Talbot, and he's had his skull cure, and this means that, you know, the slightest exertion could undo the cure. So he's like in a wheelchair and has like bandages around his head, and there's no way he could have gone anywhere. And so the inspector's like, okay, well, we're still gonna search the grounds for the murderer, because he clearly came back here.
0: And they don't find the monster. They don't find the creature.
1: Nothing comes of that. Talbot goes to Edelman and he's like, hey, I've been where you are now. Because Talbot saw Edelman go evil and run off to go kill Siegfried and then come back. Talbot's like, hey, I've been in your shoes. I know what it's like. If there's anything I can do to help you out. (laughs) And Edelman's like, well, I need you to keep the cops off my trail long enough for me to make enough spores to then do the surgery on Nina. Because they they kind of just did enough to do Talbot to get Talbot out of the way. Because, you know, full moon and all that. Then, once that's done, Talbot, I need you to help me kill myself, or, if I can't, to kill me for me. And Talbot's like, yeah, dude, totally in <laughs> on that. Absolutely, I totally <laughs> get you. Now, back in the village, uh, Skelton Nags finds Edelman's, um, like keychain or something, it like was his pen
0: on his okay, lapel or something.
1: It's like a, it's like but a, it's like
0: a medical thing. That's like this. Oh, this belong. <laughs> it's like finding like someone's shoe. Yeah, and it says like property of.
1: Right, return to this address. Anyways, <laughs> so they're like okay. So skeleton eggs becomes convinced that Edelman was the murderer, and he whips up an, another angry mob uh, to go to the castle. Meanwhile, it's the night of the full moon, so it's time to test if Talbot's cure actually worked. And it did! He's fine. Full moon's up, he doesn't transform. Nina's super excited, so she goes to tell the doc, like, hey, it worked, and discovers evil Edelman in the process of getting that Frankenstein monster going again. And Edelman's like, oh, Nina, you shouldn't have walked in on me. You've seen things you weren't supposed to see, and... You know, you, you, I don't like people who see things they're not supposed to see. So he attacks Nina just as the police and the mob get to the castle, and everyone, including Talbot and Militia, hear Nina's scream. They all run to go help her. They burst in on the lab. The Frankenstein's monster is up and about, and everyone's like, holy shit, it's the Frankenstein monster. Edelman sees, like, oh shit, the jig is up, tosses Nina down a hole. Uh, and that's just the end of her. She's just dead. Yeah. And then he comes at Talbot, uh, like, Hey, you said you weren't going to bring the police down on me. You promised. I don't like people who break their promises. Meanwhile, the Frankenstein monster is keeping the police busy by just throwing them around the room and killing them like he does. Uh, so Talbot pulls a gun on evil Edelman and just shoots the shit out of him until he's dead. So now it's just Talbot and the Frankenstein monster you'd kind of expect this would be the point where, like, the cure stops working and he turns back into the Wolfman so he can fight the Frankenstein monster. No. Instead, Talbot stays human and he just fucking, like, pushes over some flammable chemicals onto the lab floor and just starts the lab on fire and then just gets the fuck out of there with Milizia and the whole lab just blows up and falls on the Frankenstein monster, which is, like, the third time a movie's ended like this. The end. (sighs) Ugh. So it sounds like we have a difference of opinion on this movie. Does it? Because it sounds like you preferred House of Frankenstein.
0: Yes, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Okay. So there's there's some things about House of Dracula that I, I can really kind of like break down. But honestly, it all kind of boils down to the fact that this is nothing new, nothing exciting. Mm-hmm. Um. So, one, this is really more of a nitpick. It's not really Dracula's house. Yeah, he's just staying there. Yeah. Like, it doesn't become my house if I crash on someone's couch. Right. The second thing is that there's not really, like, a Dracula versus anyone. Yeah. Um Like, Dracula doesn't fight Wolfman, doesn't fight the creature. If if anything, it's, like, maybe versus Dr. Edelman, because Edelman's the one who, like... Pulls the crucifix and pushes him out and then, like, opens the coffin to the sunlight. Three, not only is there no, like, fight or really much interaction between the creature, Dracula, and Wolfman, but the creature and the Wolfman don't actually really do anything. Mm-hmm. Like, the story is about Dr. Edelman trying to cure people.
1: Yeah, and these just happen to be the people who have come to get cured by him.
0: Yeah, it's almost like a a series of loosely linked sketches. Not quite an Mm. anthology.
1: You know, here's where I'm going to disagree with you. Sure. Because the thing I liked about House of Dracula was, while you're right that the Dracula and, you know, Wolfman and Frankenstein's creature are still kept relatively separate, their stories all feel linked much more than they did in House of Frankenstein. Because in House of Frankenstein, it was just like, hey, we happened to find Dracula. We woke him up. Now let's go follow him for a little bit. Now he's dead. Okay, now we get to the next place. Hey, it's Larry Talbot. We do his whole storyline, and he dies, and it's over. And then, oh, hey, now we're going to wake up the Frankenstein monster. They're completely separate bits. Whereas here, there is at least the linking element of they have all come to Edelman. They're all in the same building at the same time. And things play into each other. You know, Dracula's...
0: Reverse blood? No, it's still just a blood transfusion. (laughs) Right,
1: into Edelman, you know, is why the Frankenstein monster gets revived at the end. Um, You know, Talbot's cure ties into Nina's thing. Uh, Talbot, you know, his ending ties into Edelman with, like, them understanding each other having the similar problem. So, like, things feel a lot more connected, even if there's still really no... Like, monster-to-monster interaction.
0: I, like, I see what you're saying. I think the problem, though, is that, at least with House of Frankenstein, with them being so disconnected, each, except for maybe the creature, each icon had a moment. Hmm. Whereas here, no one really gets, like, a pause or a feeling of, like, wait to even when they die, or have their story conclude. Like, Dracula gets driven off from a a crucifix that Edelman holds up to him. Whatever. And then he runs through the house down to the basement, and once they get down there, he's just lying there. We don't get any, like, reaction when he's exposed to the sunlight. We don't get any kind of screams. Like, at least when the ending of the 31 Dracula, when off-screen Van Helsing is staking Lugosi (laughs) we're hearing, like, ugh! You know, this is just like, I am asleep, and then I turn into dust. Like, there's no, like, weight to it. Um, When the wolfman is cured, when Larry's just like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm fine, that moment, we don't stay on it, because we have to get on over to Edelman being evil with the creature, and making the creature alive again. When the creature is, like... He's not really defeated. You're just, like, causing a fire, and he gets buried under the falling house, which a lot of it felt like stock footage still. Yeah. Um, Which is also just disappointing, because we're not even getting new footage of the creature getting destroyed or blown up. I feel like the only moment that... or, like, feeling of, like, climax having, like, a pause or weight given to it is when Dr. Edelman gets shot by Larry because he gets shot and there's like an ooh whatcha say moment where he's like looks down and smiles that he's been shot and Larry shoots him again. (laughs) Like that's the only like the only storyline in here that's given like a moment of significance. Even Nina gets tossed down a hole.
1: (laughs) So I, I, I totally disagree with you. With the exception of the Frankenstein monster, who once again spends this movie just exactly like he did the last one, lying on an operating table until the final, like, two minutes maybe, at best, of the movie, just in time for the lab to explode. Like, the creature has not had anything really to do since Frankenstein meets the Wolfman.
0: Even then, the way that it was edited down, Mm -hmm. I would say Son of Frankenstein.
1: Well, Son of Frankenstein, he at least did stuff in Sun, Ghost, and Meets the Wolfman. But Meets the Wolfman did establish the trend of him spending a lot of the movie unconscious on a table until the last moments. Sure. But then at least he fought the Wolfman at the end. The last two movies, like both of the House of movies, are literally just he wakes up in time to kill a few people and then get destroyed again. But I, I disagree with you about the idea that like the other storylines don't have weight. Um, I think that the Dracula storyline is a lot better handled than it was in House of Frankenstein, where it just felt like a total speed run of the story of Dracula. Mm. There's a
0: to clarify, I'm talking about just the ending of like the creatures.
1: Oh, you're talking just about the climaxes. Well, see, what I'm responding to is this idea that like none of the scenes pause long enough for anything to feel significant, and like the scene where Dracula is um, seducing Malizia while she's playing like piano for instance feels way better handled than the similar scene in the last movie where he's just showing off his ring
0: You like it? It breathes the spirit of the night They played it the evening we met at the concert I'd forgotten until I saw you again Perhaps I wanted you to remember I've heard this music before, yet I'm playing it. You're creating it for me. It frightens me. It's beautiful. It's the music of the world from which I come. It makes me see strange things. People are dead, yet they're alive. Mine is a world without material needs. It calls to me, but I'm afraid. The fear will pass as the music becomes fixed in your mind. It will make you long to be there.
1: The moment where he gets to, like, kind of have a clever, fun villain moment and, like, do the reverse blood transfusion thing and, like, that sort of stuff, that was a really good moment for Dracula because it was at least showing him being formidable in some way like house of frankenstein dracula is just a chump he just gets woken <laughs> up by accident and then like has one scene where he talks to three people and then gets killed when karloff's like fuck this dead weight um as for his ending i mean it's it's certainly like a little bit rushed but i think like the only reason why the shot that we see of him like turning into a skeleton doesn't really sell is because it's exactly the same ending that he got in the last movie. We've already seen this optical effect, even though it's a pretty good optical effect and it's hard to buy the idea of finality. Like this is the end of Dracula when we're not given any reason to think that this is any more final than what we saw in the last movie. So I kind of agree with you that the ending of Dracula is very like sudden, but I do like that his legacy gets to live on. And we see, like, that his evil persists after him. He has a appearance in Edelman's, like, weird dream sequence uh, when he first transforms that I really like. And Dracula's blood turning Edelman into a Jekyll Hyde thing is, like, a pretty neat way for Universal to include a monster they don't technically have the rights to.
0: Yeah, that's fair.
1: As for Talbot's storyline, I I totally disagree about him not getting a good climax because I think... Like, Chaney gives another really good performance here. He's he's He knows exactly how to play Larry Talbot by this point, and it doesn't feel like he's not giving it any effort because, oh, this is the third or fourth time, right? Um, but I think the scene where he gets to look at the full moon as a man for the first time again in years really worked for me because they held this shot on him without any dialogue around it, and he gets to stand there and look at the moon in this shot. And he goes from this slouch that Cheney always has to actually standing up straighter in that moment for like the first time and kind of looking at everything like, like he's, he's proud to be a man and, and be alive. And then there's a shot where Malizia comes over to him and they're both standing there in the moonlight in the garden. So I think he does get enough of some time to be like, Hey, The Wolfman's been cured. What sort of, I think, undercuts that is, you know, again, this is a story about Edelman. So we're off to the next thing. That's not the end of the movie. But the thing that I always forget when I watch this movie is that his cure holds to the end of the film. Like, it's always surprising to me when it does, because I always expect it to go wrong, especially because they put so much emphasis on setting up, like, oh, if anything happens, it'll just undo itself. Yeah. Um, and so when you first see that scene, or at least when I first see that scene, because I always forget that he's actually cured, it kind of undercuts that scene as well, because in my head I'm thinking, well, this is going to get taken away from him. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't, actually. Um, in fact, I think this movie, for better or worse, does a much better job of i think serving as an ending for these characters than house of frankenstein did like if this is where we have to leave them i think this is a better way to do that than what was done in house frankenstein now i totally agree with you that we're not seeing anything new if anything the the mad scientist bit being a jekyll hyde thing is a little bit new and the hunchback being like a beautiful girl is is new but you're right that, like, it's nothing new, really. In fact, the plot is very similar to House of Frankenstein. But ultimately why I like it better is it just feels, it feels like this is more of a story. Even if it is Edelman's story, it's mm-hmm. still more of a story. Whereas House of Frankenstein, even though Dr. Neiman was the linking thing, just is, really feels fractured. Especially because it's moving in location yeah, so much. I think if we just had House of Dracula, it would be fine. the The problem is is when you have both this and House of Frankenstein, and they're both so similar that they both suffer from repetition with the other. Right?
0: I think I also find, found myself like tapping my foot a little bit. Ironically, like it's a short movie, mm-hmm. but I just kept feeling like <laughs> feeling like Larry Talbot. Like, wait, all we do is wait because it felt like we had to keep like postponing something happening, like, oh, we need more spores. Mm-hmm. Oh, we need to wait till this happens or that happens.
1: Well, and again, that's because these these movies have not had enough plot for a long time to sustain themselves, because it's just, we need to cure Larry and we need to wake up the monster. And I think a big problem of these movies have had since... Um, You know, Ghost of Frankenstein, even, has been, we don't know what to do with the monster once he's woken up. All of the monster's appearances from Ghost onwards end with, like, okay, we've got him up and running again. And then immediately the movie ends. Because we just don't know what to do with him. Yeah. And so you have to, like, delay everything until the last minute. And with Dracula, you at least have to give him the time to, like, I guess, go through the Dracula motions. Like, if there's a reason you're bored watching this, it's because we've seen variations on these things so many times what I liked watching this movie was yes these are all variations but at least they felt like they were being competently done with like an eye to cinematography and an eye to like mood and an eye to style and some sort of attempt to go out on a note of quality with this series you know one thing I really enjoyed was the movie felt very expressionist inspired.
0: Yes, there were a lot of shadows and a lot of, like, silhouettes of people that definitely felt more expressionist than noir.
1: And, you know, like I said, I thought Edelman's appearance harkened back to, like, Dr. Caligari, Mm -hmm. and his bizarre dream sequence feels very expressionist as well.
0: I, uh... Probably because of the Jekyll and Hyde thing, but I kept thinking of Spencer Tracy.
1: Mm, Yeah, it's a very similar dream sequence to the Spencer Tracy version of Jekyll and Hyde, that's for sure.
0: No whipping of ladies, though. Right.
1: (laughs) It just felt appropriate for, like, a final entry to, like, reach back to the beginning in that way. um, And kind of, like, homage these earlier films. Carradine gets a better showing and more to do as Dracula this time around than he did in the last movie. But I will agree with you that for a movie with his name on it, uh, he still gets taken out like halfway through.
0: Yeah. How did you think Carradine compared to the other people who have played Dracula? That would be Lugosi, obviously, and Lon Chaney Jr. Um, And then maybe we can also compare it to Gloria Holden's portrayal of a vampire.
1: I I think Carradine's better than Chaney because he is able to do the, you know, cultured gentleman thing much better. Mm -hmm. But I find his performance to be almost too reserved. Like, he's such a proper gentleman that the menace never quite gets there, you know, in his Dracula. And the seduction never seems to quite work.
0: Yeah. Um, like the seduction.
1: It's it's almost it feels like it's all hypnotism, right? Yeah. Whereas with Lugosi, there was like some natural charisma being like aided by hypnotism, mm-hmm. right? Um like Lugosi has screen presence in a way that Carradine doesn't. Carradine's so reserved in his performances, Dracula, it kind of makes Dracula feel like a a smaller deal.
0: Even comparing, like, when Carradine as Dracula is pretending to want a cure, mm-hmm. um, comparing how he portrays that to Gloria Holden portraying a vampire desperate for a cure, mm-hmm. I think Gloria Holden does better.
1: Yeah. Again, I think the issue is just that he's so... It, it feels like he's holding back a lot, right? And and trying to pre- present Dracula as someone who's very in control, but we aren't getting a sense of, like, what's underneath. Yeah. Right? And that's the thing about playing someone who's in control. It's why, you know, Leonard Nimoy is good at playing a Vulcan and almost nobody else is, because you have to get that sense of who the person underneath the control is, right? So I think, I think Carradine, you know, of the Counts Dracula, probably ranks in second place for me among the three. Um, or, like, third place if we're including, like, Orlock as a... Oh, sure. You know, Ertzat's <laughs> Dracula. The ending is so rushed. Yes. And I really dislike that. It's almost comically sudden. And one of the worst things about how rushed it is, is, like, the way that Nina dies. It's, yeah. like, it's blink and you miss it, right? Like, he Especially tosses her...
0: so much of the movie is placed on, like, well, we have to cure her.
1: Yeah, like, she is, like, the emotional fulcrum of the movie to such a large extent. And the movie really does something different by going out of its way to make her, like, a 100% a good person, right? Like, Daniel, who was sympathetic in House of Frankenstein, was still, like, complicit with, like, Neiman's crimes and, like, murdered people for Neiman and stuff, whereas Nina is just, like, a perfectly sweet, innocent girl. I just sit here, like, wondering, like, why does she have to die? Like that feels so bizarre to me. It feels really like randomly spiteful and sudden and like no one reacts to it Mm -hmm. because she's just thrown down the hole. And then like, it's almost to the point where you think like someone's going to go down there and rescue her because no one reacts to it as if it's a big deal. And it's not like she did anything, you know, production code wise that meant she had to die. So it just doesn't make any sense to me
0: she has to die so we can kill off a girl and have the scream and the terror, but still have a mating couple after.
1: Yeah, I mean, but, like, we didn't kill any girls in, you know, House of Frankenstein. Um, like, we, we don't normally kill girls as, like, just a matter of course. Like, I I get the idea that, like, the problem is she doesn't fit into the scheme of the mating couple lives, right? Like, if... She lived, she'd be this like awkward third wheel to Talbot and Milizia. Except that. The movie also doesn't, like, end on Talbot and Melitia like, walking off into the sunset holding hands happy. It ends on the house falling down in flames around the Frankenstein monster, and then the words, the end, just coming up. Like, this movie continues the proud universal tradition of saying, fuck off to denouements, but it's, like, so rushed and sudden in this movie, it would be as if, like... When you were watching Star Wars, like, the instant the Death Star blew up, it just smash-cut to written and directed by George Lucas. Like, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know what it was like behind the scenes, but, like, the way that the ending feels rushed and the way we get so much stock footage of the creature um, and of, like, other moments for the uh, weird dream sequence, it's almost like production started crumbling by the end
1: yeah like glenn strange is hardly in the movie yeah he's in the like
0: he's in the mud and then he's on the table and that's it
1: well yeah like and they it's so weird to hear about like how what an awful time he had in the mud when like he barely moves like they could have put a fucking like mannequin. Yeah, exactly. And then he's on the table and getting the electrocuted stuff and then there is some real shots of Glenn Strange as the monster walking around the lab and like tossing Lionel Atwell to his death and tossing the other policemen and he's certainly there when like uh, Larry like pushes the chemicals onto him the first time and like right the first time things start to light on fire but then like everything else of like everything exploding and falling on him is all stock footage. It feels like Glenn Strange had, like, two days on set. Like, mud day and lab day. Yeah. The poor Frankenstein monster, you know? Used to be the the crown jewel of the Universal lineup and just... just Oh,
0: how the mighty fall.
1: Yeah. At least Larry Talbot got a happy ending. If you ignore Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Which, if if you want a movie where all the monsters team up and do stuff together, that's actually the best one?
0: Yeah.
1: It it actually has Legosi as Dracula?
0: Yeah. I see what you're saying with, um, with the Wolfman story. And I agree that there were moments with Dracula, such as the scene with the piano, that were very good. I still stand by that, like, this feels very much like going through the motions, things we've already seen. All we do is wait. Nothing new, nothing exciting. So, if we want to move on to ranking, I have a feeling that we're going to have to uh, adjust both of our ranges. Because uh. I suspect I'm lower than you. I just have a spot.
1: I don't have a range.
0: Okay. Well, do, do you want me to go first with my range? Sure. So, of the past Universal Monster movies, yeah, um, between Dracula, Frankenstein, and Wolfman... The lowest ranked one is Ghost of Frankenstein at number 64. Right. So I started looking around number 64. Ooh, you really didn't like this. Now above Ghost of Frankenstein are things like the 35 student of Prague, Soul of a Monster, The Hand of the Devil, um, like the Mummy's Tomb is down here, and then Dracula's Daughter is at 58. Uh, But then at 57 is Murders in the Rue Morgue. Kind of looking within this area, like... I had a hard time because part of the reason why murders in the morgue is down here so low is because it has so much comedy and lightheartedness to balance to try to balance out stuff. Obviously, House of Dracula is a bit more cohesive than that.
1: Yeah, this area of the list feels like it's where we put all the like uneven movies, like movies that have good stuff and bad stuff, like, you know, I, I my eye goes to Dracula's daughter for instance.
0: Yeah. So, it didn't quite feel Right, to put it here. Mm. So I kind of went up, and I just kind of settled, like... I Okay, I acknowledge that this is a large range. Um, but I wound up going to House of Frankenstein at number 40. Uh-huh. And, like I said, I don't think the way that the climax of each of the creature's moments in House of Dracula are given as much weight as we see in... House of Frankenstein, so my ceiling is below House of Frankenstein at 40. So again, I will acknowledge that this range is 40 to 64. It is quite large, but that's where I was feeling. So where, what is your spot?
1: Well, as I said, I liked this better than House of Frankenstein, because even if I agree with you that, like, the climaxes for the various characters are rushed, the story on a whole feels a lot more cohesive and of a piece and flows a lot better and just like makes more sense. Whereas House of Frankenstein felt like just a vague excuse to kind of string together some rehashes of old material.
0: Like, yes, I feel like House of Dracula is the same thing. Though. Right.
1: But House of Dracula f- disguises it better.
0: Like House <laughs> sure. of Dracula
1: makes you think that you're watching a story. Fair. Fair. So, I like this better. Right above House of Frankenstein is The Black Room, which is a much better movie because it's got, like, a really good Karloff performance in it. Times two. Right. Times three. So, my spot was number 40, below The Black Room, above House of Frankenstein, which puts it just on the other side of your ceiling.
0: Yeah, which is fine. Like... We can agree to disagree. Like, that's fine. I will acknowledge that House of Dracula is much better structurally yes. put together than the very, like, this segment, than this very long segment, and then this segment, the end, kind of structure of House of Frankenstein. So I'm okay with this spot, actually. Okay. Yeah, it's just that, like, looking
1: immediately below as well, like, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman has the really, like, choppy problem because of the, like, editing hack job that was done on it. So it doesn't feel cohesive. You know, and then, like, Captive Wild Woman, a couple spots below that, is two different movies stitched together. (laughs) So that's kind of where I'm at. Like, this feels like a full movie, even if it's a repetitive one. So if we're good with that, then entering the list at number 40 is House of Dracula from 1945 directed by earl c kenton
0: if you would like to see this list you can go to our website scream there you can find links to the other episodes that we've mentioned today as well as our appeals box if you would like to contest this or any other ranking you can drop us a line through our ask box on tumblr you can email us directly at scream at gmail.com or talk to us on twitter at underscore scream
1: Scream Scene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and SoundCloud. You can subscribe to the show through your podcasting app of choice through our RSS feed. If you enjoy the show and would like to help us out, tell a friend about the show. Word of mouth is the best way for podcasts to grow their audience. If you have the means, another way that you can help support the show is by heading over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash screamscenepodcast. As we mentioned a little earlier in the episode, our first Patreon goal is at $150 a month. If we can hit that goal, we'll start doing a bonus episode each month, that's basically 12 bonus episodes a year, on horror-adjacent films. And the perfect example is something like Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, which is a total slapstick comedy, but in many ways is a better monster rally movie than either House of Frankenstein or House of Dracula, and is a lot of fun and worth seeing if you are a fan of these characters, including Larry Talbot, who Chaney continues to play, like, completely straight, uh, even with the comedy going on around him.
0: Yeah, it is a very fun movie. Um, I would love to cover it for the show, but also I would recommend you just watch it as leisure material. Right.
1: For, for fun. For entertainment. You know how regular people watch movies? <laughs> so that's Patreon dot com slash scream scene podcast.
0: What are we watching next week, Ben?
1: Next week, Sarah, we're heading over to RKO, but it's not a Luton movie. Uh instead, it's a RKO a picture horror movie directed by Robert Seedmack. Oh. The Spiral Staircase.
0: Oh. So it's it's in in real time it's Noir-vember, and I've seen people talk about The Spiral Staircase in the context of it being film noir rather than horror.
1: So at the time, in the 40s, it was actually advertised as a mystery romance. Um, It has a lot of film noir in it, and basically what it does in the context of the 40s is kind of synthesize noir with gothic horror. Um, It's very much like a gothic horror movie. And what that does... Is it creates a very early version of a slasher flick? Oh, sweet! Uh, because it's got a a mystery like murderer and then, like a cast of women who are like being attacked. Um, so it's something where it is definitely horror. It was just creating sort of a new kind of horror. Yeah, but then it's a
0: new branch in our tree.
1: Right. But it's worth saying that like those new avenues were opened up already by Luton in movies like The Seventh Victim or Leopard Man. Yeah. So I think it fits in RKO's style of horror as like more grounded rather than the universal style.
0: Oh, absolutely. Universal and RKO are like you could probably do a spectrum of horror with those two on either end. Sure. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm looking forward to it. All right. We will see you next week, Creatures of the Night. Bye. Bye.